Cold Stove Podcast, coming to you live from the Lodge in Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Brett Merriman. We have NRD in the building today. NRD, what's going on, man? What is up, Brett? Happy. It's a big show. Long hey. time coming. So we big waited. that we had to delay today. Yeah. We thought something was happening yesterday, and it didn't. So uh, so we'll talk about it today. We sure will. We will uh, We'll get to that later on in the episode. But thank you, uh, Cold Stove listeners, for bearing with us as we uh, basically had to bump it back today. One, for news purposes that did not come to fruition, but might sooner than later. And two, uh, we had like our, our yearly meeting for Washed Media, the company I work for. And it was it, it was going to be very hard to do a podcast in that time frame. But enough about us. Go subscribe to the Cold Stove Podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Give us a rating, maybe a review. Tell a friend about the podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Stove Pod. And shoot us questions or topics that we uh, that we need to cover. How about that, NRD? Sounds good with me. I, listen, I love when I love the viewer listener viewer submission submission uh, on the on the topic. Sometimes we miss stuff. Sometimes we kind of go down the rabbit hole of a certain team or a player or whatnot. So you guys kind of bring us back to earth a little bit with uh, your submission. So keep it up. Welcome to Earth. Good movie. Want to get into uh, some hockey stuff? Let's go for it. How about those Philadelphia Flyers NRD? They have fired coach Alain Vigneault. And, uh, well, Mike Yo's in, in, in the door now. So TBD on, on how interim that interim status is. It is for sure a short-term fix for the Philadelphia Flyers, but they have officially fired AV. This comes after we might have discussed something similar to this situation, I don't know, last week. Your thoughts on the Philadelphia Flyers and where they are taking their direction? Pretty similar situation that we talked about. It. I would I wouldn't say word for word. I, I think the big contention point was always ownership. Comcast paying out the rest of Elaine Vigneault's contract and pay, paying two coaches at once. Because although coaches get recycled around the National Hockey League, it's pretty safe to assume that Elaine Vigneault will not be coaching right away. So you're going to be paying a new coach and Vigneault at the same time. And I think that was the biggest concern in the Flyers organization. What's really interesting to me, and this has been corroborated by many outlets, is that the the go-ahead to fire AV came from Dave Scott, chairman of the Philadelphia Flyers, um, which I guess, I guess if you will take that as second-handed confirmation in what we've been saying for the past couple of weeks, that this was always something that Chuck Fletcher, despite being in charge of, you know, the coaching staff and the roster did not have autonomy over. And this was something that had to come from Comcast and over the top uh, from ownership um, to approve. So it's a big move. It gets done. What's really interesting to me now is that Mike Yo is going to get a chance to work himself out of the interim tag. We saw that with Craig Berube in St. Louis a couple of years prior where he coached the organization out of, you know, hellhole and basically brought him to a Stanley Cup final. I don't think that's going to happen here in Philadelphia. Right now, they're just looking for structure in that locker room and in that coaching staff. I know tonight, as we're recording this, Nick Schultz is going to be brought in to run the defense. He's a player development coach in the organization. They have been reaching out to other names to potentially join the interim staff alongside Mike Yo. as, like I said, they try to gain back some stability there and, and help their young defensemen. But, you know, there's a lot going on in Flyerland, and I don't think the moves stop with just the firing of Elaine Vigneault. I, th- I think things continue because they're not good, and you know, Mike Yo, I think, is a great hockey coach, but I don't think he changes things overnight. 
Does that mean are you are you saying that a a GM switch is in play there? I'm not really sure. I, I, I'd love to have an answer for everything, and I try to sometimes, and I, and I do that to the to a fault. But what's interesting to me is that Dave Scott kind of gave the go ahead to fire AV. It's something that Chuck Fletcher was hesitant on doing until um, he absolutely needed to. Till Lavigneau lost that locker room. I don't know if I would take that as Chuck Fletcher has lost some autonomy and trust in the ownership and the higher higher power in the Philadelphia Flyers organization. I think it's more so of Chuck Fletcher just not really knowing how to work himself out of a problem because, unfortunately, it you could say Elaine Vigneault coached down and kind of suppressed that team in certain ways with the style of play that he wanted to implement. But at the same time, it's not a very greatly constructed roster, and that falls on Chuck Fletcher. And, and I think that Chuck Fletcher not wanting to fire Elaine Vigneault almost as, in a weird way, you know, looking at himself in the mirror and saying, if I just admit that nothing's right here, then aren't I going down with the ship as well? I'm a little bit more hesitant on the GM change right now, especially because there are two, you know, big market, big Canadian market teams in Vancouver and Montreal that are looking for general managers. And um, I don't know if the flyer job is as appealing as those two jobs, just because of the, you know, ownership that you'd be dealing with in, in Montreal and Vancouver and the prestige of those jobs compared to, having to deal with Comcast right now. So if it's not going to necessarily immediately come at the top, does the, let's go back down the food chain. Does that mean the roster is ripe for a blow-up moment, much like the head coaching position was? That's the most likely of the moves if Philly were to make one, which I think they will. They have options. It's not going to come in net with Carter Hart. You have a lot invested into him, not necessarily in money, but in time as well. So... Carter Hart seems to be safe there, working from the goaltender out. Ivan Provorov, the reason why they brought in Nick Schultz and why they're talking to some of these names, i.e. Adam Foote, that was confirmed to me, um, is because they want to turn around his career path. I mean, he's severely underachieving on that blue line, and, and you know they don't have guys completely healthy there, Ryan Ellis and, and Sam Morin, but they, they want to rework that blue line, so I think they're going to give Provorov another shot, which brings you up front, and, and you talk about you know, the heart and soul guy who is, by the way, he's having a career year right now in Philadelphia, Claude Giroux. Um, he's the type of guy that you build around. I mean, he is busting his ass and playing, you know, playing for his livelihood in that organization that he's given so much in his career too. But that's not stopping teams from, you know, investigating. He's got a lot to bring to a Stanley Cup contender. There are a couple of contenders that have placed calls. The asking price is ridiculously high right now. I don't see a move happening today, tomorrow, next week or anything like that, but We'll see where Philly goes over the course of the next two weeks, maybe into the All-Star break. And I, th- I think the questions are going to continue to bubble uh, under the surface with Claude Giroux's future in Philadelphia and, and James Van Riemsdyk, for that matter. It's just the thing with JVR is that it, it, it's a massive contract and the production is not matching the dollar amount right now. So it's a harder contract to move than a Claude Giroux where he's making a lot of money, but he's having, like I said, almost a career year this year. So it's a little bit more palatable for a team to take on a center that's performing pretty well. Yeah, and why would you not check in if you're a contending team on a Claude Giroux who's, like you said, having a great year. He's 8.275 on the cap hit, but it's only for the rest of the season, so prorate you know, pro-rate that. Uh, JVR has another year left at $7 million. So two, I mean, they're not like, they're not huge, you know, $10 million plus contracts, but you do need a certain amount of cap space in a flat cap era. But why would you not check in? on those two 
and especially it, especially the Claude Giroux. Yeah, and if you're the Flyers, why not stick to your high asking price? I mean, he is the captain of the organization. He is a team player. He's like I said, he's you know playing really well. I, I repeat myself, but you have to stick to a high asking price right now because there's no um, there's no mandate to move Claude Giroux if you're Philadelphia. Like I said, if if you want to build around him for the next couple of years as the as the heart and soul guy to kind of bring you into a rebuild or out of a rebuild, if he wants to be a part of that, then he's the guy you have to go with, um, you know, to wear that letter on his jersey. So, but you know, there are contenders out west. Looking, I I believe that Colorado is interested. Um, wouldn't be surprised as well if Calgary. You know, talking about the the Jack Eichel teams, the Tomas Hurdle teams that are looking for a center, uh, a number one, number two center that can play in the uh, up and down the lineup and play multiple roles in the on the uh, on the roster. So I'm looking out West. I'm looking at Colorado, who I think has been, you know, one of those teams looking to maybe see if there's any smoke signals coming out of Philly, Calgary as well. Like I said, it's very early. And I want to emphasize that again, it's really early on in the situation. These things are always fluid. I don't think anything's happening tomorrow. There's no immediate action here from the Philadelphia Flyers organization. Um, just something to watch for going forward. Cause as we said last week and, you know, rumblings start to trickle out, you know, um, and you heard it here first on Cold Stove Pod. I hate to be the one that says that, but we we talked about how Chuck Fletcher is open to anything to kind of you know chart the Flyers on the right course. And that if that includes Claude Giroux, it's going to include Claude Giroux. So nothing now. Hold your horses on it, but it's just something to watch looking forward. Yeah, that's going to be a trade deadline to me, if, especially if he keeps up on this pace, because it's he's only increasing his value. So Philly's not going to just try to dump him for a bag of pucks. He's playing extremely well. And, and and those that high asking price that they're sticking to, Claude Giroux might play himself into those assets for the Flyers, like you said. So Yeah, absolutely. Do we know do we have a number on those assets or is that still too speculative? Too speculative. I would just say that um you're looking at a team's top process. I don't think the I don't think we're looking at the four first rounders of value that Buffalo is looking for for Jack Eichel, but I definitely think you're looking for a a1 prospect or A1 NHL ready player, um, and a A1 NHL ready forward, in fact, in that deal, and then trickle down to maybe like B level, another roster player, a couple of picks or whatnot. So it's not the four concrete first step up. Yeah, you just got to be careful with the one um, one year rental. Is is that's the thing, gonna, right? Yeah, so you're going to get a, a picking a prospect, maybe. Yeah, picking a prospect. Opinion. I think that uh, I think that Philly. You have to understand this too. Philly's always going to want more for a guy that's that captain. Of and course, right now yeah. he hasn't. Claude Giroux hasn't asked out, so hasn't asked for his way out of Philly. So he hasn't pigeonholed himself into um, anywhere where he has to be specifically, where he wants to go to a certain team, where Philly kind of loses that leverage. So they're going to stick to their high asking price. It's going to come down, like you said, because he is a rental right now. But who knows? You know, extensions could be worked out. I don't think he's retiring tomorrow. So things can change. Like I said, very fluid situation. Yeah, Calgary is interesting to me there. They don't have the cap room to make it happen. I just, I'm just i looking at their their cap, and they still have Troy Brower money on their uh, – on their roster, which is funny for the, the end of uh, this season. But that's a team, and, and Colorado as well, that feels like a Giroux would put up 20 points in 11 playoff games and just have one of those runs that uh, lifts them to a Stanley Cup appearance. You know, that that, that seems like a perfect fit. So I like the, uh, the keep an eye. I, I had to ask about the, the price tag. Because, you know, what, what would be my hosting job with not doing that? No, it's a fair question. I will say this, though, to your point about the cap situation – we know Arizona wants to broker deals in uh, in the desert. So we know Arizona's there as a third party to maybe retain some more salary. 
We know that Calgary needs to get rid of Sean Monahan if they want to add anybody. So I'll tell you what, if if I'm Arizona, I, I'm I'm brokering a deal for my rank first before I'm brokering deals for Claude Giroux. We'll retain 50% on Giroux if you build us a newborn. I like that. <laughs> uh, let's get back on the, uh, on the on the bench for the Flyers. Who is the next head coach? If I had to say somebody other than Mike Yo right now, it's Rick Tockett. Yeah. I truly He's, believe He that. seems to be the favorite in the clubhouse, right? In, in sort of league circles, insider circles. I would say so, yeah. It's Rick Tockett. It's uh, from Tockett. Then you got your list of... You know, retreats, whether it's... I think Travis Green is one guy that's going to fly under the radar right now uh, when when looking at coaching openings around the league. But I think he's really talented. And we know Vancouver's underachieved, but I've aired my grievances about that being more so on the roster that Benning constructed than Travis Green. I think he got a lot, uh, he got a lot out of certain players in, in that roster in Vancouver. So he's one of those guys that might fly under the radar and dark horse candidate in a bunch <clears throat> of different situations. Travis Green there... Jim Montgomery, another name I think is very deserving of another head coaching job around the National Hockey League. Um, Tortorella. I was I was waiting for that name. Yeah, that name. I, there's a reason why I said it third, fourth, because Tortorella is one of those guys that, and we've talked about this before, you know, namely when Joel Quinville um, got the axe in, in Florida, that Tortorella is a guy that loves to get back into coaching, but it's going to take this. He's one of those guys also that can basically pick or choose where he wants to end up and what jobs he wants to entertain. I just simply are saying 50-50 right down the middle. I just genuinely don't know if if that's a job Tortorella would be interested in. Um, if he is, then obviously he jumps higher on that list. If he isn't, he's not even on that list. So it's something to keep an eye out for. Right now, though, Rick Tockett, I think, is the safe bet. Tortorella feels like a uh, a type of guy that does not want to go rebuild the Flyers, does not want to go interim with the Flyers. I You know, I, I think Mike Yo has a, has a real chance here to – if if he plays well and kind of gets this this team on track, even if they do lose a Giroux or a JBR or something like that, he's got an opportunity. I mean, all these guys do, and and that brings up the point. Before we move on to our next team that's going through something similar here, I wanted to talk about the the Twitter conversation of the day, which is the retreads and how the the NHL coaching circle is thirty white men that keep getting passed around like a, a joint at a eighteen year old prom night type of thing. Nice one. Listen, I uh, believe me. I hear the point, and it, and it's it's like that in a lot of sports. The old old man's club, old boys' club, right? There's no denying that that exists, and there's no denying that that's once you're in that club, it's a very powerful club. But also, when I look at a team in the middle of a season, I think an interim coach that's been an NHL head coach before, at the at the very least, an AHL head coach before makes so much more sense than doing a full search and and trying to and trying to figure it out mid-season when obviously something's already wrong because a lot more goes into it than just the X's and O's of a hockey team on a hockey rink. There's travel, there's there's meetings, there's video, there's this, there's there's a, there's food. Like you have to as a coach, you have to you're setting these these things and I'm not saying that people that have never coached an NHL team can't do that. But at the NHL level, it's different. The cadence is different. The media is different. So if I'm a team in the middle of a season who still has months left, knows that that is an interim thing, why why would I try to run out a rookie head coach there 
no matter who who they are, what level they are, if it's a woman, if it's a man, if it's whoever, I don't think that's fair to that person who's never done it before to try to right the ship on a on a team that's already been going badly. Does that make sense? No, listen, it makes complete sense. I think the um, the one name in specific, the NHL's white whale, if you will, is Ricard Gromberg over in sure. Sweden. Yeah, I think yeah. everybody talks about Gromberg coming over eventually and making the jump. It, it was almost with New Jersey a couple of years ago, <clears throat> a couple of years prior to that. He Buffalo have, checked in on him. Buffalo checked in on him. They went with a different European coach. Oh, uh, uh, you don't have to talk about that. He didn't want, didn't he? He was involved in soccer somehow before he was involved in hockey. You guys can talk about that later. Golazzo. Golazzo. But, yeah, so he's like the NHL's white whale, and people have talked about him coming over to the league for, you know, many, many years now. But I agree to your point. I, I think that there is a different cadence. There is a different level of coaching the NHL, coaching in the National Hockey League, especially midseason, right? This is not something that you get a full summer to meet these players and, you know, flex your voice, flex your muscle in that room and start to set standards. Like, you're asking for a guy to come in there – in the middle of the season, in the middle of these, in the middle of the grind, these players want to get paid. They want to go out there and do their jobs, and, and to put a new voice in that room that is just not familiar with the daily ins and outs, I think is the issue. And yeah, I agree. Go do your search in the off season because you know what? Worst case scenario, you may have not ended up with Bruce Boudreau, who is a guy that the Philadelphia Flyers would have been interested in. And I know Elliot Friedman talked about it on Thirty Two Thoughts that there was another organization that reached out to Boudreau. I believe that is the Philadelphia Flyers. So he goes to Vancouver. So like you miss out on Boudreaux, but you might expand your overall search pool in the off season. So yeah, Mike Yobi on the bench makes a ton of sense. And let's not forget he's a Chuck Fletcher guy from the time in Minnesota as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think with the the larger search, I w- I'm all for instituting some sort of Rooney rule, right? Where you have to have to um, maybe it's a coach of color, maybe it's a coach of indigenous, like First Nation coach um, from Canada or the U.S. Like. Or, and then you have to have to interview a woman or uh, a woman that's been, whether it's a front office or coaching, because that is, is that's the way the game changes. That's the way the game progresses and moves forward with ideas from everybody, right? Yeah, and that's the institute of change that everybody talks about that nobody right. wants to actually take the first step forward and and enact, right? Like there's ton. Somebody actually asked me on Twitter right before we started recording if if eventually there'll be you know. Higher, higher roles for women in the front office around the National Hockey League. And listen, I'm, I'm in total support of it. There's great scouts out there in the National Hockey League, whether it's Blake Bolden, who worked with the Los Angeles Kings organization, Cami Granado, yep. who's now with the Seattle Kraken. Like, there are talented women out there. Even A.J. Malesko, who does more of the uh, analysis side on television, but extremely smart and knowledgeable about the game. Like, there are talented you know women out there that can perform very well in front offices for around the National Hockey League. But somebody's got to enact that change. It's got to start somewhere. So, you, let does. me let me name drop here for a second, NRD, if, if you will. I've had a uh, I've been watching a hockey game at a bar in Boston with Kendall Strofield or Kendall Coin, Kendall Coin Strofield now. Yeah. Um, and she can talk hockey with anybody. She is unbelievable. And then and then she did the uh, she did the All Star game where she was in the fastest skater competition. And it lit it up. It was awesome. Kendall Coyne is shots to Northeastern, by the way, my alma mater. Um, she she could hop in a locker room right now and and just bullshit with the boys like like beer league style. You can't imagine. She's awesome. So I'm all for that. I'm all for um, more opportunity in in especially off season coaching searches because that's the way that ideas get into the game. 
that haven't been in before that um, and now you're running one two two in the third period up two goals and and everybody does it or the four check is yeah, two guys in the pot their guy like as at a certain point it just it's fucking everybody's the same you're, it's you're big fast phys- big fast physical and everybody talks like that after the it's like i just feel like hockey needs a shot in the arm something and i don't i don't know where that comes from but ideally it's the new tv dollars but they they kind of just do mix something up you know listen if, of, if that's the case it doesn't come from ricard gronberg overseas i think he's yeah. part of that gang like you know you really have to dig deep into the college ranks dig deep into you know P, whether it's d1 women's or d1 men's like coaching coaching talent is out there it's just it's a matter of wanting to find it and also listen it's comes down to cost efficiency what the owners want to do with their pockets to lead a search like this and, and whatnot but you know, it's not necessarily hiring somebody that's outside that old boy club, old boys club, just for the sake of hiring them. It's not what this is at all. I mean, like you know, we rattled off a bunch of names that are talented people that are outside of what ha- what hockey has been has determined as the norm over the years, and I put that in air quotes. That are extremely talented and well deserving. So, I, listen, I hope it continues. I really do. I'll tell you what, if if I'm the owner and I'm at the owners' meeting in beautiful Palm Beach this week, uh, guess what else about rookie head coaches is fun? They're cheap. You don't have to hire Tortorella at $4 million a year because he's he's been won a Stanley Cup and been there before in the offseason. You can hire, hire a kid to coach the team, and then he's got cool ideas, and he's $1.5 million. Except Brindamore kind of fucked up that market. But I mean, listen, it wasn't, it for played, his doing, <laughs> wasn't for his doing. Tom Dundon didn't want to give him more than, like, 10 pennies on the dollar. So. Oh, my gosh. A box of pizza and, and uh, free hotels for the year. He was about to coach for minimum wage. Speaking of a coach that uh, may or may not be part of that old boys club that we just uh, took care of, the Vancouver Canucks have a new staff. Bruce Boudreaux has been installed. Travis Green, like you mentioned, is out, as is assistant coach Nolan Baumgartner. Francesco Aquilini made a uh, couple statements the other day, rare appearance from him in the, in the social sphere, and said Bruce is going to be uh, here for at least – the end of this year, he signed a two-year deal, so it's short-term still, but he's installed. NRD, Bruce Boudreaux takes over for Travis Green. What do we think? It's a good move. What's really interesting to me is that the timing of it all, when it came out, like we knew Travis Green wasn't fired. They announced the hiring of Bruce Boudreaux first, and then yeah. Travis Green was let go. Very weird. And then not, no announcement really came out. It was like there might be something happening in the front office. I didn't really know till the next morning officially that Jim Benning was out. I was speaking to somebody uh, that knows their stuff when it comes to Vancouver Canucks hockey the other night after this news broke. And the one takeaway from that conversation, and, and they know who they are, is that more important than the GM or anything else is the fact that Aquilini is now open to hiring a president of hockey ops in that organization. And what this individual told me was that that hiring is going to be the most important higher over the general manager or anything else that Vancouver does to restructure the organization. They will consider young GMs looking for a shot and great, you know, fresh minded executives. Uh, perhaps two of them that look the same is, is, is that on the table? I co GMs are not out of the question. I mean, I think in the NFL, the Miami dolphins have co-offensive coordinators. So uh, if, if Henrik and Daniel get their hands on each other, I think they would, uh, they would be a, a, an option. I think they have, they now have a further role in that department. But sorry for interrupting. Go no, on. you didn't. Listen, there's nothing wrong with blonde Swedish twins running the show. Um, 
So that being said, I think the president of Hockey Ops is going to be the most important hire there. I wouldn't be surprised, just kind of piecemealing together what's out there, whether it's from LeBron or anybody else, I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see Mike Gillis rejoin that organization in a president of Hockey Ops role and then bring in a fresh face that hasn't worked with him before under him as the general manager, a little bit of the old guard and the new guard. Uh, because that president of Hockey Ops role is going to involve somebody that has great knowledge around the league and experience, that's not where they're going to hire the fresh face. They're going to hire it at the GM level. So that was one. Uh, that was a combination of, of different reports and, and things that I've heard and many others have put out there before me that I kind of concocted together right before we started the show of a Mike Gillis combined with a new fresh face guard in Vancouver. Well, then let me throw some other names at you that have been uh, been reported. For the president of Hockey Ops, Mr. Jim Rutherford. He left Pittsburgh on weird terms, right? Didn't he? Yeah. yeah. It was kind of like uh, what, like semi-retirement, semi-I'm all set, like I'm good, semi-resignation in a like, – what, what was – I don't think anybody was really ever able to interpret what Jim Rutherford was doing by leaving Pittsburgh. Like there might have been like a health issue too, I think, was at some point reported. I – it always seemed weird to me, and, I, and forgive me for not doing more homework on that, but he's the type of guy that, you know, I think it was Chris Johnston said he would like to get back in the game, and that's certainly a open president of hockey ops spot. And he, he's the type of guy that absolutely makes sense, right? Like, in the same vein as a Mike Gillis or a Mark Bergevin, for that matter, because I know you were going to throw his name out coming up soon here. They have sure experience— was. In running an organization, you hire them as the pres, and then you bring in some new faces underneath them as the general manager and and the rest of the front office. Rutherford, I don't love the hire because, like the the good thing about Brian Burke when when the Penguins brought in Brian Burke right to run the show, and then they brought in Ron Hextall underneath him, which is still extremely weird to say that Ron Hextall is the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, kind of kind of hurts some Philadelphia fans out there, I'd imagine. Yeah, listen, Ronald Hextall was a legend. He scored two, three goals. Um, Sounds like me. <laughs> um, no, but like Burke was still involved in hockey. So on the media side with TSN or Sportsnet or whatever he was doing, like Rutherford, it seems like he's been out of the game for a little while. And I'm always, you know, a little iffy about that. Just if I was in that role of, you know, Aquilini trying to make a hire there. Like, he'd really have to sell me that he's watched film and kept up on where the game is going because of that, you know, old boys club conversation that we've talked about. Mike Gillis interests me the most. Mark Bergevin and Scott Mellonby. Like, Mellonby makes a lot of sense if you're looking to hire a general manager, but do you really just want to run it back in the same order that, you know, Montreal did it? Things didn't go well there. And I understand there's a lot of pressure with that market, but I'm not... Just as much of a, as I'm not a fan of hiring, you know, guys that have been out of the game for too long, I'm also not a big fan of, like, you can hire a coach that is a as a retreat that got hired somewhere else, like we talked about, but like hiring a whole front office regime in like Bergevin and Mellonby that just was fired from Montreal, that it's different to me. Like that's a completely different no no than hiring like an Elaine Vigneault somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that. You mentioned the. Uh... The TV side of things and, and why Brian Burke made sense on, you know, after being on Sportsnet or TSN, which whatever the, the it it was, both, even. I'm sure. I'm sure. I wanted to get your quick thoughts on at the sort of quarter pole of the season, ESPN versus ESPN Plus versus TNT. 
and USA and, and what you've thought so far, just as a, as a casual hockey fan first and insider second of the job that, that the TV deals have, have been doing so far? Listen, I, I think the TV deals are they're paying dividends for the league. There's more national interest in the National Hockey League. You see it in your social feeds and whatnot. Um, I, I think the TNT is providing a little bit different of a product, more different in a good way of a product. That the uh, in a great Hockey, way, by the way. In I a think great way, doing a in phenomenal a fantastic job. way. Than, than what the NHL has done before, and that's a lot due in part to the success they've had with inside the NBA and the mm-hmm. fact that their NHL coverage is in, inside the NHL, if you will. ESPN's doing great things just for the legitimacy of what Bristol, Connecticut brings to a sport, right? Like, I think the biggest concern right now is the is the blackouts and the streaming issues with where the games are at all yeah, times. Yeah, I haven't been able to watch the the Stars play. It's it's weird. It's it's really strange why the um why certain games are like you can watch them locally. Like I know the big the big thing that's being talked about in the social circles right now shout out to Rear Admiral, is why the Bruins, you can watch the game on Nesson on your television in Bo- in the Massachusetts area. You can't mm-hmm. stream the game on Nesson in the Massachusetts area, but it's also not on ESPN Plus at times. So it's really strange. Like it's, it's ESPN Plus exclusive out of market, but then it's exclusively on television, not on Nesson streaming. It's all messed up. And I think that's the big issue right now. And part of the reason to go back and, and some of you that have followed me for a while remember that since I started reporting on the TV deals that you know eventually came to ESPN and TNT, the NHL's big concern with the NBC was Peacock and the streaming you know setup that that Peacock envisioned, that NBC Comcast envisioned for the NHL and Peacock, and how that didn't really you know do anything for Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and Steve Mayer, the chief content officer of the National Hockey League. So the fact that now this is happening, you know, with ESPN tells me did they just simply not care about the streaming and they just wanted more money from whoever was going to give it to them. You know, I talk out of the side of my mouth, likely scenario knowing, you know, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, mm-hmm. but that's the big issue right now. But in terms of the product, it's bringing a lot of legitimacy back to the national hockey league. And I'm happy to see it. I'm excited to see where this goes now with the all-star game, you know, broadcasted nationally on ESPN. What happens, you know, with the winter classic on TNT, Gretzky will be back in the fold for that. So like, there's good stuff coming for the league, though. I think the TNT is bringing the game in a new light, something that's more exciting than what we've ever seen. Yeah, they, they're kind of their version of inside the NBA for the NHL with Biz and Gretz and and those guys has been <clears throat> arguably a must-watch. It's been a great way to kind of lead into the games for the night. Absolutely. Which, you know, I'll, I'll watch that and then switch over to ESPN Plus at, you know, 7 Eastern for whatever game I want to watch. It's just been a great... Um, a great start, I'll put it that way. Absolutely, and it, it's cool to see, like when Trevor Zegers does what he does last night, or does does what he does right um, against the Sabers of all teams, and flips a puck over the net, and and Sonny Milano bats it in, and to see that jump up all over the TL, and not just you know the the usual accounts, the hockey this, hockey that, but to see ESPN running with that, that's cool. To see TNT running with that, to see Bleacher and and Barstool and all everybody running with stuff like that, like it, it, it's a highlight that kind of anybody can appreciate, whether you're a hockey fan or not. That's cool, and that's what hockey needs more of. Absolutely. I mean, did you see Michael B. Jordan actually comment on the? Uh, did he really? He shared the uh, he shared the Zagris the Zagris assist, which by the way was probably one of the greatest passes in the history of hockey. I don't really think cool. Anything is and and like that. almost 
an even better reaction in a way. Kid's unbelievable, man. And largely in part, when we sat here uh, about a month and a half ago when we launched Cold Stove Pod and talked about how Anaheim was starting to fade in the Jack Eichel talks because they didn't want to part with Trevor Zegras. I mean, if, if that doesn't show you why last night they wanted <clears throat> Jack Eichel to pair with Trevor Zegras and not to give up, you know, Trevor for, for Jack, I don't know what else to tell you. That's exactly why right there. He's extremely talented, and he's going to ascend to being one of the top centers in the National Hockey League. Just hoping the same for Peyton Krebs, baby. That's, there you go. That's what we're hoping for. Uh, let's go back to coaching and get into some uh, some rumor talk, I guess. Let's go for it. A little, little bit of a hot seat here that I got some insight on the other day, NRD. Can I uh, can I report that here? Go for it. You have my permission. That you you gave me the assist. Uh, or I guess you you hopped on Twitter and, and kind of gave me gave me the uh, the nudge nudge. Hot seat in New Jersey. Merriman's Musings. Let's call it Merriman's Musings right now. Merriman's Musings. Lindy Ruff, um, and not that they're not that they're playing great, not that they're playing terribly. They're just kind of middling and, and sort of feel rudderless at this point, which tends to begin with the coach, especially on a team that is not exactly loaded with veterans that can kind of right the ship on that. Mm. So with New Jersey, what do you see that that sort of aligns where I'm coming from with Lindy Ruff. Similar to what you said, just rudderless. I, I don't think they're playing as a cohesive unit, as a system right now. What really stood out to me, and I saw this, and I, I would love to attribute it to you know the Twitter user that tweeted it out. It just happened to pop up in my timeline. That the other night, uh, apparently... Jack Hughes, who, listen, is coming off an injury and nursing himself, but he's playing really, you know, he's playing with the same speed that he that we're used to seeing Jack Hughes play with. And Nico Hiche both finished the game with uh, the third and the fourth um, center line minutes. Like they were the two, they were number three and number four in terms of minutes for, for centers. So that's odd. Uh, if I was running a team that had Nico Hiche and Jack Hughes, they'd probably be my number one and number two, not num- not three and four. So, similar to what you said, just rudderless. I don't think there's a sense of direction there. A lot of people are putting stock into David Quinn being spotted at the New Jersey Devils games. Coach with Lindy Ruff. He's also involved with the Team USA's coaching staff now. So, maybe just scouting some of the boys there. I don't think there's too much stock to put into David Quinn. Basically lurking in the shadows. I don't think he's hiding behind the glass, behind the bench, trying to steal Lindy Ruff's job. You never know. I mean, I wouldn't. If I was New Jersey, David Quinn would be a guy I'd, wa- I'd want to talk to. But there's no much, there's nothing more to put into it than that. But yeah, there's just something's weird. Like they should be better than what they are right now. As we talk about those teams, and and to quote you, to paraphrase you, when we talk about those teams that have ascended into that next step as being a rebuilder, um, you know, the Rangers and the Ducks that are starting to come out of those those Detroit rebuilds. even Detroit who looks fantastic, and we'll you know. I want to talk about Detroit at some point, too, because Lucas Raymond's, you know, playing like a man possessed. But New Jersey's, like you said, middling right now. They're just kind of staying in the middle. They're not They're not better. They're not worse. You could blame the assistants. I think it was a little weird that Alan uh, Nazardine kind of hung on to that coaching staff as an assistant, and they didn't just clean house completely. But something's, just like I tweeted the other day, that something's got to give in Philadelphia. I think we're not there yet in New Jersey, but something will eventually have to give. Just because they're they're better on paper than what they've shown. And another on paper point that may sort of explain a lot of this is you have a guy in Lindy Ruff who is call it, you know, old school, 
at best conservative and and older and he's he he to me he's built for a team that is older and trying to win a cup because he has uh has he does he have a cup under his, his belt was he was he with Dallas or Buffalo for the foot in the crease he was with Buffalo coaching against Dallas for foot in the crease so then he gate. doesn't have a cup so then he doesn't have a cup I believe I, that yeah. was a shot at the cup Let's see this is where we need Lindy, cold stove intern cold stove intern Cool Adam is on the uh, he's on the ones and twos today. Maybe he can help us out. Um, this is a little live. I, this is great radio our, here, this right? Is fantastic podcasting. I know. I don't think he has a cup. No Stanley Cups for Lindy Ruff. Okay, so that long story short, he seems like a guy who takes over a veteran team, gets them to the playoffs year one, gets them in the Stanley Cup final year two, and s- says. That's what I'm here to do. That being said is there's only three guys in the New Jersey Devils roster that are older than 30. Three guys. And Tomas Tatar is 31. Tatar, Subban, and Jonathan Bernier. Blast from the past name. So that is an easy way to, to sort of explain these struggles for the Devils because you have a, you know, by all accounts, a hard-ass coach who bonds more with veterans than than rookies and young guys. One of your veterans is P.K. Subban, who hasn't exactly, like, I don't know, married himself to being the best locker room guy of all time. Tomas Tatar has never been a loud leader. He just scores awesome goals and plays hard. And goalies are weird. So what leadership do you have in that locker room that's not Jack Hughes, who's 20, right? Like, there's there's a leadership dynamic in New Jersey that does not check out, does not make sense right now, and that is providing some pressure and heat on the coaching staff. And Jack Hughes and Nico Hiche, you know, I'll go back to them just because it's really bugging me that they played the minutes that they played the other night. They're not grind them up centers, right? Like Jack Hughes <clears throat> is a, you know, I, I want to be careful of my wording with this. He's a butterfly. You got to let him free. You got to let him fly around the ice. You know, he, he's he's built in the same program that Trevor Zegers was built in, in terms of skill and development. And you got to let a kid like that roam around the ice and make the plays that he needs to make. So that's the issue with the Devils right now. But where do you go? Like, I'll kind of throw a question your way as the host of this program. Where do where does New Jersey go with the coaching staff? Is it a Travis Green who worked with some younger guys in Vancouver but got results at times? Like this is he better? You know, like you're not gonna bring in a Gerard Gallant. I know that Lindy Ruff was a side effect of not wanting to spend the money on Peter Laviolette last go around. Mm-hmm. And that's that's well reported and I've said that numerous times when they botched the whole John Chaka, Peter Laviolette offseason. So like, what would be that new face in New Jersey if we're just recycling coaches because that's what we do here? Well, I'll, I'll give you the the names, right? It's the Ricard Gronborg. It's the Nate Lehman at Providence. It's the, uh, oh, maybe Jim Madigan, Northeastern. He's now the AD there, but why not come back and, and coach a bunch of young kids? I think it's a name that's not in that old boys club. I think it's a younger Kind of up and maybe maybe David Quinn actually does make sense when you think about it in an offseason kind of higher rebuild to get these young guys into that next step. Like they're supposed to take the jump. The the idea of Lindy Ruff is they're ready to take the jump, they're not. So 
I kind of looked at the Rangers as the, as the example, right? Where they were ready to take the jump. Quinn's out, GM's out. Now they've installed Gallant and, and Drury. And here now here we go. Now the gas is on for the next five years. New Jersey might have thought they were there. I like Tom Fitzgerald as a GM too. I love hearing him on whatever program he's on. But I think they might have thought they were ready. Evidently, not yet. Which and so maybe you need a coach who's younger, who who is, can relate more, um, to get them to that step where they're ready to have a Lindy Ruff kind of come in and crack the whip. Can't fault them for thinking that they were ready. If you really think, and it's a great comparison because they're right across the Hudson River with the Rangers. I mean, they were in lockstep for move for move that the New York Rangers kind of made alongside Jersey. Like Hughes went number one, Kako went number two. Devils had a top, you know, top ten pick when in the Lafreniere draft. So like they were kind of in lockstep for like move for move. So the Devils may have looked at the Rangers and thought, you know, we have Hughes over Kako, and we started comparing guys, and the Rangers think they're ready, so we got to be ready. I don't know if that played a part in it. Like we know that the Rangers, you know, getting their asses kicked by the Islanders played a part in them kind of gritting up this offseason. A grit with a T and not a G oh, with a D grit, but. So we do know that teams use other teams as benchmarks to kind of see where they're at. That's that's what sports are. So that's what sports is, I'd rather. So I wonder if that plays a part, but they're clearly not ready. So bringing in a guy like Quinn or a Travis Green makes a ton of sense, you know. But if you're Tom Fitzgerald, is that admitting that you, you took the leap too fast? You acquired guys like P.K. Subban way before you were able to make that jump? Like, that's the other part of it, too. Like, there's a lot of egos and stuff involved, and I love Fitzy. Fitzy's a fantastic general manager. But they have a lot of assets in New Jersey, and I think that before he considers anything drastic, he better start spending those assets if he wants the results to pay off with this jump that he thinks that the organization is going to take. Can I give you a name that I don't I don't have anything other than I know he's well-liked in Buffalo and is going to be a head coach in this hockey league? Fire it. Michael Pekka. He is a workhorse for the Americans right now, Rochester Americans, Buffalo's AHL team. He's not their head coach. He is just an assistant that is sort of the player's guy, like the guy's guy, who can you can go out and have a drink with and and bullshit for a little while. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it's next year, but I think Michael Pekka is a great coach for a situation like New Jersey has currently that maybe somebody like uh oh, I don't know, Arizona or somebody like uh Montreal is in a couple years. Whenever they're whenever that rebuild is just sort of getting in the thick of it, he's a good guy to to players coach the way into into prime time, and then, you know, I, I not to be rude, but like get fired and hand the reins over to somebody like a Gerard Gallant. So so Michael Pekka, keep an eye out for that kind of name. See it in my head now. Those orange Islanders third jerseys with the twenty seven Pekka <laughs> on the back. What a great what a great player Michael Pekka was. Great player, great guy, um, and by all accounts can can have a little bit of fun too. Let's switch gears here, NRD, do some rumors. How's that sound? Let's go for it, my favorite. Jake DeBrusque, what is the latest on Mr. DeBrusque? The latest on DeBrusque is Don Sweeney being Don Sweeney and not, you know, taking what's out there just because he has to. Obviously, teams, when when a player requests a trade and the, the trade request gets out there, they teams immediately start circling in the waters because they smell blood and it's a buy low situation for them. Don Sweeney knowing what he has in Jake DeBrusque and knowing what Jake DeBrusque is capable of because like I said like 
Jake DeBrusque is a great player, and I think he can reach that potential still of being a middle six winger in the league. And I don't think the Bruins think that he's not that player either. He's just severely underperformed, and the change of scenery makes sense for both parties. But I don't think the Bruins have given up hope and think that this kid is a lost cause. So Sweeney knows what he's got, and he's going to stick to his guns there. I still stand by the price being a player that can step in, uh, maybe the same age, maybe similar, maybe a little bit older, that can step into the Bruins lineup now and help them compete, even if it's down the middle because they're missing David Krejci. Like, that's... I'm looking at a piece that just helps the Bruins continue on this path this season, despite not being, you know, the king of the Atlantic division right now. Like, just a guy that just helps them in their lineup. I think that's the price still, and I think team want, teams want to buy him, want to buy DeBrus cheap for futures, and that's just not what Don Sweeney has in the cards right now. Would a Claude Giroux make sense in that situation? If you're Boston, yeah, but DeBrusque is nowhere near enough, from what I know. No, no, no. Yeah, it's, it would have to. And... I don't love Boston's futures pool that much. I don't think they do either. Yeah, I don't think Boston. I mean, they've <laughs> drafted really poorly. But like that, it from a fit standpoint, it makes sense. But I, it's just weird. I can't picture Claude Giroux playing for the Bruins. I can't picture those two teams brokering a deal that massive. No, that's that is pure pure cold stove speculation there. So please do not yeah. come at us unless it happens. Then we'll inevitably tweet this clip out. <laughs> it's our game plan. You guys figure this out. No, I just, it's weird. Like, I, my face is cringing as saying it. I can't see it happening. It fits so Jack much. Edwards announcing Claude Giroux scoring is, ugh, doesn't sit right. The fit is so much better out West, man. There's a couple of contenders out West that could really use Claude Giroux. Like Colorado, like you mentioned, you know, he's the type of guy that can grab you 22 points in 11 playoff games. Let's stay in Boston real quick. Tuka Rask, um performed was it the e-bug or was it sort of just the emergency morning skate goalie more of the emergency morning skate goalie i mean that is the e-bug i guess in, in you know in contractual terms in, in rostering mm-hmm. terms do you imagine if tuka russ gets called down as the e-bug in a game like your goalie pulls a groin and then your backup gets hit in the head he's got to get pulled by the con- concussion spotter you think you're getting a <laughs> college has been or a zamboni driver that Doubles at Tim Hortons in his free time, and then Tuka Rask comes out of the tunnel, and you got to play against and Tuka. just and lights you up. Yeah, yeah, it's like he pitches a shutout. Like goalie goes out in the first period, you got to bring in the e bug, and it's Tuka Rask, and you know starts a winning streak for the Bruins. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, on a serious note, if you have Lena Solomark, you have Jeremy Swayman, and you have Tuka Rask, who is probably closer than than not to being ready for an NHL contract is Boston what what's Boston's situation here does it does it feel like Dallas to them it's similar to Dallas in that you have it, it, listen if you're going to bring Tuka Rask back he's going to be the number two or the number one either get him and Swayman are going to kind of float back and forth with starts <laughs> the the longer it takes and I believe it was Elliot Friedman that said this and you know he was spot on the longer it takes for Tuka Rask to sign the better it is for Boston just because of that you know daily accrual of cap space and whatnot and the mm-hmm. contract getting compressed throughout, you know, less time in the season. So it, it plays into Boston's hands what's happening right now. But, like, do you do you want to move Linus Allmark? You signed him to that big deal in the offseason. No, it would it would be Swayman. I mean... But how do you move Swayman? Like, I'm, I'm asking you. Like, I don't know. I don't, this is embrace debate right here. Like, how do you move Swayman? He's your young guy in, in the stable. And you don't want to move... Quite frankly, if you bring in Tuka Rask, you don't want to move really any of those three because Tuka Rask is old and unpredictable for good reason with it with his playing future so it's like you bring him in and he's kind of like a he's a there if he's there and if he's not there he's not there type of guy like you have to hold on to the goaltenders you have yeah i mean well you don't make a move until until rask is 
is there there or at least like con- like verbally yeah and like there there is not there there is not signing in March before the trade deadline and then playing through April and then we got to go into another offseason of you know is Tukaras going to stay like there there is like Tukaras mm-hmm. is going to sign a 3 or 4 year contract for for a vet minimum and be involved in the organization playing in the net some way or somehow for the next 3 or 4 seasons it's not like to sign Tukaras for 2 months for a cup run to get rid of Linus Allmark for that and then ruin your depth or Jeremy Swayman for that matter is just it's not a shrewd move that Don Sweeney would make um, they might have some PTSD too if they see the way Dan uh, Vladar is playing out in Calgary Lighting I it think up. just just had his first loss like last night him and Mark Sturman and Calgary set that that team is just phenomenal to watch um so that's that's the Bruin situation I think that's kind of one of those I don't I haven't heard any smoke out of Boston, boots on the ground. Shout to to uh, Petrov, but that that goalie situation, I think, will work itself out more based on what Tuka Rask is going to do. And I, w- I wouldn't wouldn't hate to see Linus Allmark go down with a groin, and all of a sudden, uh, okay, that that solves our problems for us, type of thing. I could see that happening because he's a guy that's injured. Um, Every single day of the year, he you can you can be like Linus. We need to go need you on IR. But like, yep, well, my thumb, my groin, my shin. In Buffalo, that dude had a winning record in Buffalo over the over the course of his his career, which is nuts. And uh, but he was hurt all the time, so he just didn't get to play that much. There's another goalie in uh, in the state of New York that people are concerned about injury history with. Which one? Craig Anderson, Malcolm Subban, uh, Igor Shosturkin. Which one are we one. talking here? Oh, oh Shostakovich, yes. And which I uh, thought he was dead. I thought he was dead. <laughs> Listen, poor New York fans. I mean, that was like the season imploding in one instance. Apparently, he's all right. Apparently, he's going to be back in the lineup sooner than you think. How that looked like a shattered groin. That looked like a uh, an ACL. That he couldn't put any weight on his leg. And New York fans had to flash before their eyes. I mean, what a good start they're off to. Finally looking like a real deal hockey team who's going to make something happen this year. And then they watch Igor Shesterkin laying in there on the ice. Can you imagine that feeling real quick? What's really funny is that Ranger fans know, and many around the league remember, last year he had an injury against New Jersey with his hip where I think one of the players, one of the Devils players fell accidentally on his back. Mm -hmm. And he was lying dead on the ice last year too and then was back in a week like the guy is otherworldly flexible i mean jonathan quick levels of flexibility from some of the saves that we've seen igor shister can make but like this is twice now in two years where an injury pops up in the middle of a game where like that's like that's it for his career and i'm not i seg i segued into this segment by talking about the fact that there's another injury you know prone goalie I don't think he's injury prone. You have to take the car accident with him and Pavel Buchnevich out of it because that's like such a freak thing. Yikes. Not great. No. Driving around too fast in Brighton Beach. Um, (laughs) Been there. Shout out to all the Russians out there. But like, so you can't say he's injury prone because of that. He's now had a groin. And then the hip that was last year against New Jersey that he played dead. And then the, what we think might be a groin Maybe he took a puck off the knee, maybe a stinger, a deep bone bruise. We're not really sure. We might never be sure of what happened this year. He had that ankle in the bubble 
Actually, there you go. There's another one. The ankle when uh, Henrik Lundqvist had to start a couple of games in the bubble. So these ticky-tacky injuries, they had up. I think that the New York Rangers' success, and this is not you know an original take here, but the New York Rangers' success is directly correlated and tied to the health of Igor Shosturkin. If he is healthy and can play 50 games, even 50, 55 games a year, and they can just get like two, three goal games out of mm-hmm. Georgiev and Kincaid or Adam Huska, like they're going to be a contender. The problem is, is Igor Shosturkin has to be there for 50, 55 games. Let's stay in the goalie market, shall we? Um, ben Bishop officially uh, entering a conditioning stint with the Texas Stars. I'm actually going to go see him play this weekend. Uh, in Cedar Park. Cold stove on location. I want you to send a report back. How's he look? <laughs> Cold stove on location. I'll have the uh, I'll have the ears to the ground there. Meet and greet. That means that Ben Bishop is closer than um, closer than not to being able to play again, which means that Dallas almost has four goalies. NHL caliber goalies that are ready to go. Who NRD is the odd man out and why is it Anton Kudobin? Danton Kudobin because you know Ottinger's a great young goalie and he's kind of your goalie of the future and I don't want to paraphrase Emily Kaplan because she wrote that this morning but then again she paraphrased us by what we've been saying on the cold stuff pod I tweeted out the clip a couple a uh, couple of days ago so shout outs to her for being a, a longtime listener um <laughs> friend of the program friend of the program Emily Kaplan no all kidding aside she's great but like Ottinger's your young guy Hope he's on a one-year deal and he's playing fantastic, so you don't want to mess with his mojo. Bishop, you don't really know what you have, so he's got to be able to play some games before you even consider putting him on the block. So Antoine Kudobin is the odd man out. And I'll repeat myself from that episode, from that clip that we tweeted out. We know what Kudobin's capable of when he's on. He's a great goaltender. He can help out a ton of teams, whether he helps out... If Washington wants to buy a goaltender, because I know Washington's looking in the goaltender market as we get down to uh, the playoff push, just to strengthen depth in that, like, he's the odd man out because of just the situation he's in. Because of each goalie in Dallas bringing something else to the table that Kudobin just doesn't have. There's the youth with Ottinger, there's the mystique with Ben Bishop, and there's the value in Braden Holpe. Yeah, Braden Holby's playing well. That's that's the thing that could open the, the problem with him is he's not playing great. I think he's eight eight ninety or something like that. So it's not like he's having a great year with great value. He's thirty five and has another year on his contract after this year. So he's not exactly the most attractive trade chip, but he's the lowest of the four in terms of value, so that's why it, it's easy to say him. So that's another one of those that I think time um time will will get that scenario more fleshed out as the trade deadline approaches. And if we have any smoke anywhere, obviously we will bring it to you guys. Of course. Let's go up real quick to north of the border. Rumor is Tyson Berry putting his name on the market. Not himself, excuse me, but rumor is that his name has been tossed around. $4.5 million cap hit. Um for let's see it is for this year next year and the year after not an expensive guy talented guy locker room guy by all accounts does Tyson Berry make sense uh in your mind anywhere or is it just any thoughts in general more so generally speaking I think the issue is the contract after this year like a guy like Tyson Berry is not going to come in and play in your top two 
he might not even touch your top four if you're looking for that depth. Like, he's great depth. He's probably the best of the depth that you can get to play on your third pair. But usually when you acquire those guys at the deadline, you want to bring them in and they have, you know, the remaining year on their contract and their rentals. So the market is squeezed a little bit on Tyson Barry in the aspect that you have to be okay with adding him into the lineup next year as well. And you need a defenseman. Like, he makes sense. Like, if you're talking about, like, a team like the Rangers, who who would love to add depth on that blue line if they're really, you know, going to make this push for the playoffs. Because Nils Lundqvist hasn't been the guy that you thought he was going to be, and that's okay because he's adjusting to the league, and Patrick Nemeth just hasn't been playing solid. So, like, if you bring in a guy like Tyson Barry, would make sense for the Rangers if he was a rental because of their cap situation <clears> next year, but doesn't make any sense because he's under contract, you know, beyond this year. So, it limits the market. He's the type of guy that, like, He's young enough, like you said, and he's cost-controlled enough where if you're a fringe team that thinks that next year or the year after could be your year, like a Dallas, if they figure out their woes, or you know, if he wants to make a return to Colorado, if they think that they can, you know, it's a great, it's a, it is a great fit. It's a I mean, great fit to return Tyson Barry. Like that's the team that can that can absorb the hit this year and next, and knows that they're going to compete this year and next. And all that. He doesn't make sense as a team that's looking for defensive depth for a playoff push this year. I don't hate the Islanders in that situation either. I mean, think of like Char's not gonna be there. They have like they, they still need defensemen. He's a right shot, right handed defenseman. that's that's at, at four and a half million dollars for two years after this year, that's not a bad deal. I mean, you're getting Tyson Berry for the same contract as Rasmus Risto Linen. Not a bad deal. You know, I love me some Risto. <laughs> I don't. Best trade. No one traded the offseason. Rasmus just the line. Okay. Okay. Uh, NRD, before we wrap up, you want to hit a little whip around coverage. Nope. Favorite part of the show. NHL, NHL franchises have, uh, their values have dropped in a Forbes article. The Rangers top out at $2 billion, and the Arizona Coyotes bring up the rear at $400 million, with the average at $865 million, up 32% year-over-year NRD. What do you think? I think that if everybody, not just our followers, Brad, I think if everybody on Hockey Twitter pitched in a dollar or two, we could buy the Arizona Coyotes and maybe save them, you know? Save the save the Coyotes. Just make up a little Wiley Coyote graphic and uh, they, they, those poor guys. They, like I said, the Coyotes are going to, and, and Elliot said this and Jeff said this, they're going to be talked about to Houston, to Kansas City, to Quebec, to Austin. Oh, that's me inserting that one. They're going to be talked about until they have a rink in place. That's just the, that's just the truth. And no matter how many times that Marullo says, we're not going anywhere, this is all horseshit, sorry, until you have a rink to play in literally next year, it doesn't matter. And Bettman, too, for that matter, because Gary Bettman has a legitimate vested interest in the Coyotes staying in Arizona Batman came on board in the NHL 94-95, and the Coyotes moved from Winnipeg in 96. That was the first big relocation under Gary Bettman as the commissioner of the league, and he brokered that deal because Gary Bettman came in in 96, or 94-95, and wanted to expand hockey in the Sun Belt. That's why you saw teams like Nashville and Florida and Arizona enter the league, and the Dallas Stars moved from, you know, Minnesota. So, like, he's he's got a vested interest in keeping the Arizona Coyotes where they are. Now, Houston is in the Sun Belt in terms of, you know, wanting to keep hockey down south where it's warmer, but Arizona's his baby in a way, so he's going to continue to deny those reports either. I think the most preposterous thing is, you know, the 
idea that was thrown out there that they might hop around and play in like Tempe and then Chase Field for a couple of games and like yeah, that's that just I, doesn't do it. What it does, it, it wouldn't do well and it would be expensive as all get out and it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's it's too expensive and what it does is it you think it's great because you keep the team in Arizona and you keep the fan base and the fans are really happy. But what happens is the product suffers because players don't want to sign there. Players don't want to play there when they just Airbnb for their next home game. Like. That's not that's not what they want to do either. So, yes, it saves face for the Arizona faithful that have you know rooted for that team. And there, when that report came out, many people tweeted me and said, "CNRT, Brett, they're not leaving." So take that, suckers, sign the Arizona Coyote, you know, fanship. So like they're passionate, but I hate to tell you, but like Merrick, like Freeman, no, like we said, the, the the rumors are going to continue to mount until they find a home somewhere. I wouldn't be opposed to them doing something like the Tampa Bay Rays and just playing like half the season in Arizona and the other half in Quebec. Gross. Um, I uh, I tweeted when that report was you know was denied or whatever. I tweeted the the quote six months from now. It's a great tweet. We've exhausted, by the way. What a, what we've a exhausted all options. Like we we love the fan base here. We did everything we can and and it's just the it's the easy way out because they know exactly what's coming. Dude, spot on with that tweet. Uh, Draws back to the Atlanta Thrashers website in 2010. Right on the front uh, front open of the website. Statement from True North Sports and Entertainment. Yep. RIP the Atlanta Thrashers. Zach Bogosian got a start there. Played against his brother in, in uh, Messina. And fe- phenomenal hockey family. Um, the Sabres are at $500 million, by the way. The Padulas bought the Sabres for like $110 million. Uh Sell the team immediately, Terry and Kim. You have clearly one baby uh, when it comes to sports. That is the Buffalo Bills. Take your crazy profit and walk away. Why not? You're already de- you can t- fucking develop more condos around the rink. You already have a bunch of them. Harbor Center's great. Sell the team. That's so easy. Oh my god. Do they own? This is like my lack of Buffalo knowledge. Do they own the Key Bank? Two Key Bank Center. Uh, good question. I don't actually know who owns Key Bank Center because that's like the the go to for the outs for some of these owners of the organizations to just hold on to the building and lease space. Yeah, hold on to the, the real new, estate from they, the new owners, and that's they, the big. You know, everybody talks about it. at one point Jim Dolan selling off the Rangers and the Knicks, but holding on to the Garden because he'll just you know lease the building out to the new owners of the organizations. So that's uh, a move. I believe Erie County owns the key bench center. So then that idea is out. Scratch everything I just said. But, but generally speaking, your idea stands. That's, that's an idea for many. That's Listen, that's an idea for Comcast in, in Philly mm. if that's ever an option they want to explore because they own the Wells Fargo Center. And they own, you know, all those buildings down there, the, the whole unit of, you know, sports complexes. So if they want to just lease space from whoever wants to come in and buy the organization, that's an option. Um, you know why McDonald's is, is one of the most valuable companies on the planet? Real estate. Real estate, exactly, NRD. Um, Matvey Mishkov, who is a current Russian junior, I believe he's 16, and uh, we will hear his name for a long time to come, I promise you that, has signed with Siska St. Petersburg through 2026, which would take him three years after his draft year. NRD, what is uh, what are your thoughts on, on Russian kids playing in the KHL longer like a uh, Kirill Kaprizov, for example, and Artemi Panarin, for that matter, versus coming over and playing juniors here and, and going right in the NHL? 
I love it. I want to see more 27-year-old Calder Trophy winners. Um, <laughs> I think it's great for the game. I think it's really encouraging for the young kids here that are 18 and 19 trying to break through the league when a uh, 26, 27-year-old wins the Rookie of the Year trophy. No, all joking aside, there's a lot of pride in those, you know, for those guys to stay home and play in Russia. And I've heard stories that uh, maybe we'll share one day here on the Cold Stove Pod mm. about envelopes and briefcases of cash being dumped off at certain players' houses for for achievements in the sport of hockey by a certain perhaps uh, perhaps threats of hey don't go over there or else yeah just nothing concrete about the threats but like there's there's transactional Allegedly. relationships going on between you know the Russian government and some of their some of their assets by way of that makes the sense. sport of hockey so there's uh, there's a lot of pride if you want to call it pride. And those guys staying home and playing for, for the Red Army team. So doesn't surprise me in the slightest. He's still going to get drafted because he's such a great talent. Like, he's still a first-round pick. We saw it with the goaltender, a name slipping me right now, that Nashville took about a year or two ago. It's goaltender. Uh, no, not Tarasov. He's Columbus. Uh, name slipping my head right now. But Nashville took him in the first round, uh, I think, with pick 10 or okay. pick 9. And he was the successor to... Shesterkin or Sorokin with SKA. Yeah, I think it's Shesterkin with SKA. And, like, he's going to be there for a little bit longer, but you still have to take the talent when it's there in front of you and just continue to coax them into joining the organization and coming stateside and playing in the NHL. Like, this isn't Lou Lamorello getting chinooked into trying to steal Slava Fatisov for the Devils. Like, it's a different world nowadays. The lines of communication are open, so I don't think it shies away teams that he signed there for another three years into his draft eligibility totally agree he's gonna be one of the best goal scorers of all time he's already proven that putting up more points than uh, one nikita kucherov at the same year in russia he's doing okay uh carry price skated in full equipment for the first time since rejoining the canadians uh, i just want to say congrats carry price hope everything is going as planned on the road to recovery let's go carry we're rooting for you hopefully it comes back sooner i know they said not before christmas or not like after christmas but hopefully he makes an appearance in the, the red white and blue this year no doubt. And uh, Jack Eichel and the Olympics in general. Now, Olympics and COVID, there's a lot of talk about it. There's a lot of uh, annoying talk about it, in my opinion. Like, there are people that are saying that they're crazy if they go over because of COVID. They're crazy if they go over because of the three-week quarantine. I just I don't think people understand the players and their their want to in this. I think we talked about this last week, but I get the three week thing is an issue, and people were like, "Well, if they test three weeks, uh, you know, test positive on the state of the semifinals, then what do you do? You're a bad teammate." It's like, no, you're not. You're just like, you're not. There's there's 150 other guys over there. Doesn't like it, it's just it, it's you're not. It's not on one individual to to answer for the rest of the league being over there it's just i i maybe i'm just too much of an optimist but i think that a way is found to get it done especially knock on wood early results with uh this omicron variant are yeah probably more evasive as far as vaccines go but no more threatening as far as severity of the virus once you have gotten it so we understand that. Who knows? Who knows if that changes? The concern is the three-week quarantine in, in in China in a Chinese facility. From what I've heard, three weeks quarantine, you're not allowed to produce a negative. Like you're 
three weeks total, but like 14 days, you're really locked down. Like even if you feel better in six, you gotta, it's 14 days before you can even begin to give them a testing sample that might be negative. Like they won't allow it. Mm-hmm. So that's the concern. Crazy. I mean, as far as the Jack Eichel talk at the Olympics goes. Yeah. How about no, him? Huh? November 3rd. How about that? NRD? There was a date and there was a certain podcast. It was a hockey podcast, similar to the one you're listening to right now. Actually, it is the one you're listening to right now. They talked about oh, one right. of those dates being a contention point for uh, for Jack Eichel being traded because he wanted to get the surgery and be back and healthy for potential to play in Beijing. So I love it that um, Chris Johnson is a great guy, and I love everybody jumping on that bandwagon. But, uh, you know, NRD Bomb Squad, you guys know where it's at. Cold stove. Remember, remember, the 4th of November. There you go. NRD is what I say. Last thing before we get out of here, are the Wild and the Washington Capitals two of the sneaky best teams that nobody's talking about right now? The Wild are sneaky good. The Capitals we know like, are good, but that's I think I'm gonna I'm a little bit more bearish on the Washington Capitals only because their okay. success is directly tied to the fact that Alex Ovechkin's on pace to like score like six hundred and twelve fucking goals this year. Very weird. Like, like yeah. it, at the start of the season it was okay, wow, Edmonton's way better and like obviously Calgary is way better. And the Rangers, right? It's like, whoa, those are the now the the wild and stars. I'm getting middle America involved here. The Wild and Stars are two fantastic teams. They're playing really well. And bonus, I mean, for a guy that we thought that lost the locker room at one point, like, whatever that players but, only meeting did, obviously turned some things around. Not everything. They're not, you know, they're not in the top of the league right now, but they're 9-1 and one in their last 10. They're going to play tonight. And they're playing really, really good hockey right now. It, I think you know it helps too when that that locker room is just loaded with guys that want to win, that have been there before, that are experienced, that are are veteran leadership, that you cannot quantify in advanced stats or or production for that matter. That that's just a locker room team that's in, I think now in step with with Bonesy. I would say yeah, hundred percent. Some of them are really wholesome. You see, uh, the charitable man that is Tyler Sagan. He invited all of his friends to the game. I don't know if you saw the TikTok. No, I didn't. Oh, is that, is that the I, one? Okay. Yeah, it's the one with the... I, I, his, friends. his friends. Yes. Tyler Sagan yes, is a yes, charitable yes. man. He leaves tickets uh, he at Will Call for everybody. So Seems like he has a type. If too. you know, you know. Type of deal. No, listen. I'm, our... I'm bullish on the Capitals. <laughs> I think the Dallas Stars and Minnesota Wild are better teams than the Capitals right now. Right now, if we're going to wrap that up. I don't disagree with you. Let's wrap it. NRD, that's another episode of Cold Stove. Where can the people find you? Find me at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. That's where I am. That's where I'll always be. I'm not leaving Twitter. <laughs> We've already had this discussion. You know, find me at, at Cold Stove Pod too. You don't. You never know who, you who's uh, who's behind that account either. But uh, we're having a good time. I appreciate all the subscribes, the listens, and whatnot. Really, really, really encourage you guys to leave us a five star review. Um, five stars, and then write a review. Tell us how we're doing. Or if you're on Spotify, which hey, we love you too, Spotify folks. I saw a couple that have us ranked in their Spotify rap lists for the year. Um, yeah, that was cool. Very that was cool. very cool very to see. Thank you. Thank you guys for, for tagging us in that stuff. That's Love awesome. Love that. And if you're on Spotify and you can't write a five-star review, then tweet us. Tell us how we're doing. We'd love to retweet some of the best stuff that we hear, you know, constructive, non-constructive, whatever. If you think we suck, you suck too. So uh, that's okay. Just uh, keep up. <clears> maybe we'll, uh, maybe you know, we might have to do NRD is do a, uh, a voicemail, like a hotline, and... Like, not less like asking us questions, 
but more just give me your take. Like after your team loses, yeah, like overreaction. Like, say the Sabers to the yeah, yeah. Say the Sabers lose to the Rangers uh, with point four seconds left on the clock. I don't know. Just I want I want your fire or like I have we have the best fucking goalie in the league like I don't care who knows his name I don't care if anybody thinks he's such he's the, like something like that we might have to have a an overreaction hotline. Well, I'm all for it. Listen, people, NRD, uh, you know I carry the torch for you all out there. NRD is the people's insider. I love hearing from the people, so it's not a bad idea in my book. As do I. I am Brett at Schmerriman on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Cold Stove Pod on both of those apps as well. And we'll see you guys next week. See ya. See ya.